0: Message from Starfleet Command, top priority.
1: You are listening to the Trek Ranks Podcast, a member of the Tricorder Transmissions Podcast Network. This is episode 129, featuring the top five first-times. Welcome, Star Trek fans. I am Jim Morehouse, and I am the host of the Trek Race Podcast. Tonight, we're going back to the beginning and the start of, of, well, whatever we end up talking about. It's going to be the start of whatever these topics are. It's our top five first times, which I think is going to be a super fun, broad topic that can literally go anywhere. And to do a topic like top five first times, we figured we should get two first-time guests on tonight, and that's what we have, two guests that we've been interacting with on Twitter for a while. So, first up, coming to us from the UK sector, it is Matt Price. Welcome, Matt. Are you
0: there? Hello. We're happy to be here.
1: Glad to hear it. And our second guest is Advocate Kimberly Lawler hailing us from the Texas corridor. Welcome, Kimberly.
2: Hi, Jim. Thanks for having me on. I'm so excited to be here.
1: I love it. I heard your track profile, so I know you're a lawyer, and your name is Lawler, so that seems <laughs> to be, that's just a good fit. I like that. It works. So Kimberly and Matt, for our first time guests, we'd like to get a quick Trek origin story, just to hear your kind of backstory, how you got into Trek and just your Trek history. So Kimberly, like I just said, I heard your Trek, heard you on Trek profile. So I know you're not a completist and you love your G. So give everyone a quick snapshot of your fandom.
2: Yeah, so um, i probably started watching Star Trek with my dad when I was a kid. Um, He was a big original series guy and so I knew the movies and we would watch, um, you know, when they came on TV. And then when The Next Generation started, I really just, that became my show. And so we used to have debates all the time about Kirk versus Picard and I was just a huge Picard fan and, and that became my show. And I started reading all the novels Fan fiction, um, and then kept watching, you know, through Deep Space Nine and Voyager. But I kind of fell off from Voyager when I was going to college, and was out of fandom for a little while. And then I started picking back up the novels. Netflix came back, so I watched all of Voyager. Discovered I really loved that one too. Of course, I had still been into all the movies, and and then I found Trek Twitter, and so that was another way to um, get back involved in the fandom and. So I still uh, write, uh, my, well, my my fan fiction is Picard Crusher, because that's always been my one true pairing. And uh, otherwise, I, I just enjoy watching whenever I can. But I am a mom of many children, all boys, and I just do not have the time to really commit to being a completist. So I kind of had to let that go. Um, but I love Star Trek and love talking about it and really excited to be here.
1: Good. So you you can just stumble on episodes though and find stuff you've yes. never seen before. So that's super cool. So yeah, and I I think at some point you will do that with Enterprise. You'll you'll start hitting a few, and and next thing you know, you'll be you'll love Enterprise just as much.
2: Well. Oh, I know, and that's the thing. Enterprise was on when I was in law school, and I definitely right. had no time to watch it. But I every time I watch it, I'm like, wow, I really like this one too. So I, I feel like I have the general knowledge from reading all the reviews and reading all the novels and stuff yeah. too. But yeah. So, yeah, no, I, I really love it. And um, and podcasting, of course, listening to podcasts has been one of the greatest ways to get re in it, too.
1: And Trek Twitter is the best. So, yeah. Matt, Matt, how about you? How Tell us about your Trek backstory.
0: It came about 13 years ago, 2009. Um, well, oh, h-
1: wow, I'm, I'm already blown away. Keep going.
0: <laughs> so it, was, it, it, it actually wasn't straight away with the um, 2009 film. It was, uh, well, one of the few highlights of my time at secondary school was the fact that two years there was a sci-fi club and the teacher decided one week to do Star Trek. And that was, and that is basically how uh, I got introduced to it. It was uh, actually, actually, I was going to say what the name was, but I'm actually going to keep it secret because it's part of uh, my top five. (laughs) So have you seen it all? (laughs) It's taken some effort, but yes, I've seen I've seen every episode of every
1: series so far. Okay, and so, Kimberly, your favorite is PNG. And Voyager. And Voyager, okay. And mm-hmm. Matt, if you had to pick one today, what would be your favorite series? Deep Space Nine. Okay, there we go. I love it. That gives us a good snapshot of your guys' backstory and what we can expect. On our top five first times. I love saying top five first times. Okay, let's get into this. Here's our Trek Ranks recalibration.
0: What are you recalibrating? Everything. Um, it's, it's a sweeping, uh, a recalibration of all systems.
1: As regular listeners will know by now, General Order number one of the Trek Ranks charters that we love Trek and we love to rank Trek via some deep dive topics just to get the conversation started. And remember, it's not about the ranks. That's just our excuse to talk about Star Trek.
0: But what is that Vulcan motto? Um, infinite diversity.
2: In infinite combinations.
0: Hmm. <laughs> and what is diversity? A d-
1: celebration of differences. And as to poll, and Dr. Flox just said, Trek Ranks is basically just a big old celebration of differences. There are no wrong answers at Trek Ranks. We love it all from TOS to TNG, Straight Through Enterprise, and the Kelvin Timeline, and now Discovery and Short Treks and Star Trek Picard and Lower Decks and Star Trek Prodigy as well. It's all fair game here on the Trek Ranks podcast.
2: Black alert. Black alert.
1: (laughs) And a reminder that this episode of Trek Ranks is current through 825 episodes of Star Trek, which currently translates to the first complete half season of Star Trek Prodigy and the halfway point of Star Trek Discovery's fourth season. And one final reminder, we use episodes as a shorthand term, but the 13 films are always in play as well. A boost of power to the communications bandwidth. And we appreciate that, Mr. Kim. We can find Trek Ranks on subspace at trekranks.com. You can contact me directly on Twitter at Trek Ranks or at Enterprise Extra. And you can also call leave us a message with your own picks at 609-512-LLAP. That's 609-512-5527. Okay, Kimberly and Matt, let everybody know how they can get a hold of you on subspace, a.k.a. Trek Twitter. Kimberly.
2: So you can find me on Twitter. I'm at KallieND3. That's K-A-L-L-I-E-N-D-3.
1: And Matt, how about you? Matt Price 30. Okay. Follow up there for some good Trek content. And tonight we are skipping our diagnostic cycle because the only thing we need to know about tonight's topic is that we're picking a bunch of first times. And that could literally, that could be so much. An introduction, an event, a starting point anything so instead of all that let's jump straight into our prime directives and see how everyone narrowed down their list
2: but what you're proposing is exactly the kind of tampering the prime directive prohibits
1: okay so kimberly we're going to start with you how did you define your prime directive and and finalize your picks
2: um so yeah so when i started picking i thought i could do like the first time a character appeared or the first time a a race appeared. an alien species. But then I thought, well, that could be kind of repetitive. So what I wanted to do was mix it up a little bit. So there may be repetition when I do, but I really wanted to do maybe the first time a certain production choice was made, the first time a character or ship did something significant, or the first time we, the viewers, see a character do something, even though in universe they may have done it before. So all of my picks will be a little bit different.
1: Okay, I love that. That is a great way to look at it. That is, that's going to be similar to mine. Matt, how about you? How did you break it down?
0: Um, Well, my, my topic is actually quite unusual. It's actually my top five first times revisiting Trek episodes. It's I know it sounds strange, but... Are you kidding? I, I love the sound of that. Keep going. Say so With context, I should probably just explain... Before I left uni, I went to uni in, in the West Midlands of the UK for a few years. I finished in twenty seventeen, but before then, I just watched stuff for entertainment value. I didn't look at it for anything else, and Trek was unfortunately part of that. But then one day, I went and saw Wonder Woman in cinema, and that and that film changed my life. It actually changed my life. It changed how I pers- um, perceive. Popular culture, and since then I've actually revisited Trek episodes, and found myself either thinking, uh, "Okay, that's okay, that's even better than I thought it was," or am straight up loving. Or just straight up loving the episodes having previously disliked it.
1: That is fascinating. I can't wait to hear this list. I can think of. I'm liking that topic because I'm thinking of man. If I looked at it that way, what are the yeah. episodes that that when yeah. you saw it a second time? The impact it made on you. That's kind of what you're saying, right? A
0: little bit? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's even gone to effect with Star Trek. Star Trek Beyond is my favorite of all the Trek films, simply because of the themes that it hides beneath its script and its characters. I'm right there with you.
2: Yeah, it's so great.
0: So, so underrated. People just missed that one. They just missed it.
1: (laughs) It's so deep. And it's so layered in TOS. Okay. I can talk about beyond all day. Let's uh, all right. So my prime directive, I came up with a long list. And then I realized that uh, on my long list of topics that I'm looking at down the road, I had arrivals on there. And I was thinking, "Ah, I still want to maybe do arrivals later. So a lot of my picks kind of felt like first times, like arrivals. So I eliminated anything that could feel like it was an introduction or an arrival, which is kind of what you said, Kimberly. So I ended up focusing more on landmark moments and development moments. And and like you said, maybe production choices are the first time we see something. So, so Kimberly, you and I are generally on the same page. I love that, Matt, you are, that is, out there, an awesome prime directive. So this is going to be cool. Let's get to it. First, Connect Catan, introduce us to the new order of things. It'll be alphas like us that determine the future of this quadrant. That is will be the new order of things. Thank you, First Good As always, a quick reminder on how we're going to go through the order of things. First, everyone will start with their five-word summary and a hashtag to tease their pick. Then we'll each reveal our first-time choices and the specific reasons we're highlighting it. And, of course, everyone will pick an episode to associate with that pick. And at the end, we'll ask everyone for a few secondary system selections for the picks that just missed our list And as always, if we have any duplicate picks, make sure you listen for the Defiant Torpedoes. Okay, Kimberly, we're going to start with you. What's your number five pick for your top five first times?
2: All right. My five words are, you'll like this, let's kill all the lawyers. Hashtag (laughs) quoting Shakespeare in defense of humanity. And the pick is Next Generation Season 1, Episode 1, Encounter at Farpoint. It's the first time that Picard quotes Shakespeare in Star Trek.
1: Oh, my God. That's so good. So Is that (laughs) that really the line, the lawyer line?
2: Yeah. You know what? I had always kind of remembered. I I remember from um, Hide and Q, he quotes Hamlet when he's going back and forth with Q in the office. But I had to double check myself to make sure it really was the first time. And then I'm like, no, that's right. He actually quotes it in the courtroom um, and during the trial and encounter at Farpoint. And he says, I recognize this. It's uh, a scene from Shakespeare where let's kill all the lawyers. And he said, and that was done. And so that led to there being no justice. And that was the, of course, um, kangaroo court that they found themselves in. Silence!
0: Continuing these proceedings, I must caution you that legal trickery is not permitted. This is a court, court of, of fact.
2: We humans know our past, even when we're ashamed of it.
0: I recognize this court system as the one that agreed with that line from Shakespeare. Kill all the lawyers. Which was done. Leading to the rule guilty until proven innocent. Of course. Bringing the innocent to trial would be unfair.
2: I, I, just, I love the fact that, of course, Shakespeare was always in Star Trek overall. Of course, it had been in original series, like, so much. But I just love that they had it in Next Gen from the very beginning. Because it's so much what I associate with Picard, and for me, like he was my introduction to Shakespeare. And I'm not an actor at all, but I have always loved reading Shakespeare and being into the plays. And it was because of Star Trek. So I I, I think there was maybe a maybe it was the retrospective show that they did in next gen, like that Jonathan Brakes hosted at the end. But it was some sort of retrospective, and they looked back. And they quoted this the Haydn Q scene in particular, too, of the, what a piece of work is man. And so I just had that that passage memorized. And it just, you know, it, goes, it plays through the rest of the show, um, all the movie titles, and then it just continues beyond that. And so I love it that the very first time that we got Shakespeare from Picard was in the first episode.
1: Right off the bat. And the fact that he's a Shakespearean actor that they that they brought into that. That role, and I mean, the Shakespeare was all over the TOS. So with the episode titles and uh, and being quoted, I love this such a great uh, specific pick and moment. Uh, Matt, any take on Encounter at Farpoint and Picard quoting Shakespeare? <sighs>
0: <laughs> have you have um, you read any
1: Shakespeare? I've only read it in school. Like, yeah, I, I've read
0: a few. Say, I, well, I studied Shakespeare at uh, secondary school, but oh. as I, as I, as I said, um, I had very few high points, so it's probably been a bit blotted out. But I will say this: like Shakespeare in Star Trek is it feels progress. It feels progressive. It's like so for it to be quoted like in a progressive show like Star Trek is a good sign of. Uh, how, how well it can hold up, if that makes sense.
1: No, oh, it does. And yeah, I know it. everything
0: I know about Shakespeare, I, I
1: learned in Star Trek. So that's just the truth. Okay, Matt, how about you? What's your number five pick?
0: So my number five pick for like first time revisiting Trek is the penultimate episode of Next Generation Season 6, and that is Timescape.
1: Okay, that's a great one to watch a
0: second. So time. that's a, yeah. So that's the one where Picard, Troy, uh, Data, and the Forge discover. Uh, we'll say it ends up traveling through frozen time pockets, if that's correct. Yep. And they and they come across the Enterprise seemingly on the verge of destruction, battling a Romulan cruiser. And, uh, and as and as we go on to see, not it's say time has made it made it look like not what it seems.
1: Yeah, and it's what, when you rewatch that, you get the you get a different perspective of all the things that are coming and how uh, it impacts their decisions, knowing what you know that they don't know, but they're about to know. I love it, Kim. What's your take on Timescape? That's a classic.
2: Yeah, I love that episode. It's so great. I also feel like there's a classic Star Trek element to it that in the beginning they feel like they're stepping into a battle between the Romulans and the Enterprise, and so they have to uh, save the ship, but. It's really an accidental set of circumstances from a non-malevolent um, alien. And, of course, it's got all the time pockets. And it's it's so much fun to watch, especially when Picard makes his little smiley face. <laughs>
0: yeah. I, that moment is like, it is just genuinely horrifying, um, like to, uh, the context when you think about it, as it is to see Picard's face of anguish. Because, well, let's face it, I, we probably saw a warp core breach up close. Mm-hmm. Seriously, say so, something else that does stand out for me. To that is like I can't remember the episode in name itself, but early in the season there was like a chase. Ha- There's like, a chase happening to solve a puzzle between the, say the Klingons, Klingons, Cardassians, Romulans, and the Federation. Yeah,
1: it's that, that's the episode
0: of The chase. Yeah. Oh, the chase! It well, so I was right. <laughs> yeah, right. But and of course, at the end, the Romulan captain, the Romulans, were the ones who took it. Mum took the lessons most than their fellow um, enemies, and so just in this one, as we see, the the Romulans are actually not out to cause trouble. They're just in, they're just as much in distress as everyone else. The situation cool. looks looks terrifying, but it, in it, but all it is is that the is that the Romulans are they're just there at the time. They say they're trying to stop the non malevolence
1: like that. That's a nice little piece of headcanon because that's right before this episode. Ravlin's at the end kind of acknowledge a little bit what's going on. And in this episode, they're actually not being dicks because normally yeah. <laughs> they are. Okay, let's go to my round five pick. Five words and a hashtag. Black and blue times two. Hashtag jumping and landing. And my pick is the first time we see a black alert and a blue alert because those are the first ever non-red, non-yellow alerts when we see, uh, you know, alert status stuff portrayed like the traditional red and yellow alerts. So the first one, of course, my episode is the 37s from Voyager when we get that amazing blue alert that shows up in... The 37 is when Voyager is landing on a planet all of a sudden. I'll never forget that watching the first time. Blue alert! What is happening? They're landing! That was just a real game-changing moment for Star Trek, I think, when they landed the ship. And then my favorite part of our episode of Discovery right there is context is for Kings, and when they introduced the black alert the first time. Just really, really impactful, mysterious, eerie, dark... I just love that moment, so I thought, "Oh yes, yeah, so let's do it." Blue alerts and black alerts as my first time. Kimberly, what's your take on those? Have you seen contexts for kings?
2: Um, I haven't, but I certainly know the alert uh, cue that you use all the time on here, and so I, it's, it's right. very <laughs> creepy and ominous. No, it is. It's 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 chilling, and then the the blue alert too is is just great because we haven't seen a starship do that before. I, well, I mean. Not the Enterprise or not Voyager. So, like, seeing that it actually can set down is pretty exciting um, to watch.
0: Yeah, it really, really was. Matt, what's your take on this? I don't know if I could be of much help. I've actually not seen much of, I'll say, I've not seen any Discovery episodes ever since um, they. I first watched them on their first like viewing. So, yeah, I know it's a bit, I've just not, I've been meaning for months and well, years and months to try and have a Discovery rewatch, especially now that I've got the, Um, I've actually bought the Blu-rays because they went off Netflix. What about the Blue Alert? Do you remember that one? Yes. Yes, I do now. It's like, (laughs) give you a sec and everything comes flooding back.
1: All right. Well, let's go to round four. Kimberly, what's your number four pick?
2: All right. My number four pick. Five words are leave the lizard babies behind. Hashtag need for speed. And it's Voyager season two, episode 15, Threshold. uh, The first time that Humans make it to Warp 10 with uh, Paris crossing the threshold. Oh
0: man,
1: Warp 10. I should have thought of that one. I love it. This is so great.
2: <laughs> yeah, I have um, in my mind that the memory from um, Where No One Has Gone Before, where Jordi is saying, like, Captain, we're passing Warp 10. So I know that that has happened before in the show, but this was the first time that humans really did it on their own. And I just, it, it's so memorable for all like the techno babble and everything with Neelix helping at the beginning and they, um, and, and have so much scientific enthusiasm for it. And then the whole episode just completely ch- changes uh, tone after we, right. you know, makes it to work 10 and then it just kind of goes a little bit bonkers. It's a lot of fun to watch. It's, it's wacky and uh, yeah. What happens to the lizard babies at the end? That's always, been yeah, it's, a,
1: it's a really <laughs> interesting episode for tone because like about 20, 25 minutes in, you're like, Oh, this is interesting. This is oh, what is happening. What is going on, Matt? What's your
0: take on Threshold? I certainly don't think it's the worst Voyager episode. I would agree with that for sure. For sure. Say, I think it's got it's it's got a good idea. Say, it does suffer a little in its execution, but I do not think it's uh, it's that bad. It does have some really good ideas behind it.
1: Agreed, and an incredible Emmy, a winning makeup, which is awesome. Okay Matt how about you what's your number 4 pick
0: My number 4 pick so like for revisiting track is actually the very first Star-, um, Star Trek episode I ever watched The Devil in the Dark from the original series
1: Oh my all time favorite TOS episode I love it
0: This one just like it stood out to me on the first watch it's what got me into Trek but the rewatch when I was like preparing uh episodes because i was going through as much trek as i could for what was the ultimate countdown at the time lime is four years since i did that and look at how much the trek universe has changed already but yeah so devil in the dark holds a special place just because it's got a real mysterious vibe to it and there are and the themes about fearing and h- hating the unknown do hit you hard you say you do understand what the, what the miners tried to do at the end of the episode because they feared the unknown, but upon learning the truth behind the water, why it was doing what it was doing, they came to understand it and realize it wasn't the enemy at all. And that, it does resonate hard.
1: It's the classic, uh, you know, we're the monster. Not
2: <laughs> Yeah. Once you,
1: once you realize they're we're the ones killing all the their eggs. And, uh, I love the hordem, uh, Kim, What's your take on the devil in the dark?
2: Yeah, this is just absolutely a classic. I love it. Um, it's it's such a perfect Star Trek idea of, you know, it, like you just said, we're you know we're we're the monster. We're the ones that are actually causing the problem. And shifting your perspective, coming to understand um, another entity, or being like better, so that you can be more sympathetic and not have that first reaction of must kill it is so um such it's just one of the reasons why i love star trek right
1: yeah absolutely i mean this one i mean (laughs) from the first season of tos an all-time classic that uh, set the tone for 55 years oh and so my number four pick is similar in that regard here we go five words and a hashtag a ram among the sheep hashtag day one for the klingons and my episode is the is errand of mercy from tos season one and it's the first day of filming for the klingons in star trek history and i'll tell you why in a second why this is special to me uh, i'll give uh, larry nemacek uh Nemesek, the star trek historian and author of the TNG Companion, some credit on this. He did a story on his Trekland website a few years ago about the first ever day of filming for the Klingons on Errand of Mercy, which was January 27th, 1967, which was the exact day I was born. And that always stuck with me. And so when I was doing this first time topic, I just thought, oh, I'm going to pick that because it's really cool to me that uh, something so iconic, the first time Klingons were ever set Wherever on a set and filming an episode was the day I was born. It just feels like a nice, cool connection. And "Errand of Mercy" has been one of my favorite episodes of my entire life. I absolutely love what it says and what they do in that. As kind of setting the tone for Klingons throughout Star Trek. So, Kimberly, what's your take on that one? Great, um,
2: great pick. Uh, introduction of the Klingons is certainly uh, pivotal, right? I mean, it, there's. Uh, we, we know all the classics, right? the, the Vulcans and the Borg and the Cardassians and stuff but the, the, and the Romulans. But the Klingons are so, so important to Star Trek overall. And for this to have been the first episode that they were introduced is um, really neat. You know, it's another one where you're trying to find ways to avoid conflict.
1: Right. Right. And not yeah. understanding. Again, you come in thinking it you know, oh, we'll show these Organians what's what. Oh, no, we're not going to show them what's what. <laughs> They're going to embarrass us.
2: Right, exactly.
1: Yeah. Hey, Matt, <laughs> Matt, what's your take on this one?
2: It is a really good
0: episode. Like, and, what, and something that failed to click with me for years was that the character in it, Core, would then go on to have that, right. um, <laughs> those character appearances in Deep Space Nine. Right. I never clicked until years later. I,
1: I could see that. Well, the makeup changes, and if you're not, like, as embedded into it as some dorks like me are, I could see that if, if you're doing a watch-through that you don't pick up on that. So that actually fits your list well as a as a first-time revisit. I mm-hmm. like that. Okay, let's go to the soup round. Kimberly, what's your number three
0: pick? Eat your soup, courtesy of a loyal establishment, True.
2: All right, my number three pick uh, five words. Would you like a tranquilizer? Hashtag training mission. And this is the first time that SAVIC pilots the enterprise out of space dock in the Wrath of Khan.
1: Oh, that's really good. That's really good. Great it's five words. <laughs> Thank
2: you. This is, um, you know, I just, uh, Wrath of Khan kind of uh, freaked me out as a kid. I was definitely more of a Voyage Home fan, but but obviously it's iconic for so many reasons and it, but it is a little bit darker, right? So the moments of levity at the beginning with Kirk doing his little tour around, you know, seeing the cadets and all of his little asides um, to McCoy and Spock. And, and then they come on the bridge and, and Savick gets her chance to to pilot out the ship from SpaceX. Like, well, wow, it's first time for everything. And I, I just laugh out loud at McCoy's line because he's so snarky and it he's so funny um, but you get the swelling score, and it's so dramatic, and it's it's really an awesome moment. For everything, there is a first time, Lieutenant. Don't you agree, Admiral? Mm-hmm. Aft thrusters, Mr. Sulu. Aft
0: thrusters. Would you like a tranquilizer?
2: Head one quarter impulse power.
1: Head one quarter impulse power. It really is. It's classic. Snarky McCoy and the perfect, it's a movie with so many incredibly memorable things. That's one of them. That's another one of them. It's, it's like, no, everyone knows this moment in this scene. And uh, and the way, I mean, it's really the way McCoy and Kirk, or uh, I should say, DeForest Kelly and William Shatner play it. It's just so, so good, iconic. Uh, Matt, what's your take on the Wrath of Khan in this moment?
0: Great moment say very good character a bit disappointed she didn't get um, as much development as she did in the film's actor but it is understandable oh. it's a kind of, it's kind of a bit of a shame that say Khan didn't physically um, see anyone on the enterprise bridge in the film at all because I think he could have had some really good moments with Sav- with Savage, because of a few like great one liners
1: yeah i know what you're saying that's one of those things about Raphacon that is really interesting looking back on it, but that's what at least we got—we got him and Kirk facing off in space seat, so we have that. But uh, yeah, that's it. Always funny when that comes up that they are just basically yelling at each other on, over uh, the screen.
2: No, I, I I agree. It makes it um, more like the submarine movie that's supposed to be right. right? The captains like uh, circling each other and hunting. And, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Okay, Matt. How about you? What's your number three pick?
0: Number three pick for revisiting Trek. The fourth episode of Deep Space Nine season seven take me out to the HoloSuite. Okay. Say so, now admittedly, when I first saw it, I was I was actually a bit of a low opinion of it. I saw it as a bit of fun, but nothing too major. But then I rewatched it as part of my Deep Space Nine full run through in 2018. Having, uh, say, having seen the episodes prior, I realised that this episode was just what everyone needed, and I didn't just mean the characters, I meant the production crew and the cast. Everyone needed this episode, because obviously, only a few episodes prior, we'd seen the death of Sayer. Je- right. The opening to Season 7 did play a part in re-establishing these characters, but this episode took it just that little bit further I mean, it's got, this episode has everything, fun montages, fun character moments. Say The fact that we even had Quark getting into the spirit by getting his um, bartender to throw glasses down at him from the balcony so he could practice catching. That was adorable. And of course, you you can't, you can't like think of Take Me Out to the Holy Suite without thinking of Worf's Death to the Opposition. I mean, it's an all-time classic
1: episode, so many great one-liners. I'm curious, so how much did you know about baseball or had you seen baseball when you saw this?
0: I knew nothing of baseball first time, even, say, probably less second time, and I still <laughs> don't know it all that much. I love it. Blame the fact that we're from the UK. I don't say we yeah we tend to have cricket.
1: That's why I asked. Similarities, but, but different. Kim, what's your take on uh, Take Me Out to the hall so
2: uh, also, uh, another great episode. I love that pick. Um, okay, Similar to the Rathacon, there you go. They're kind of in the middle of a really intense season, and to get this moment of levity is is a lot of fun, especially the depth to the opposition line, but also the uh, scotch-flavored gum.
1: <laughs> There's so many. My favorite at the end, when he says, to manufacture triumph, and they're just <laughs> laughing at the Vulcans. So good. So, so good. Okay, I'm going to close out the soup round. I'm really excited to be able to pick this. But now I'm curious how much you guys, if you've even seen it, who knows? We're going to find out in a second. Five words and a hashtag. Medusin navigates into our hearts. Hashtag hoot, 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 hoot. It is Zero from Star Trek Prodigy, the new first ever regular cast member as a Medusin and Medusans are just cool. They have been since 1969. I love it. Zero is played by Angus Emory. His portrayal is just absolutely fabulous. I don't know how this guy gets so much emotion into his voice acting. It's really, really impressive. And I love the place that this character takes in Trek as they're non corporeal, non gendered. It's a really huge, cool part of Star Trek history and lore, really important representation on a bunch of levels. And and I love the role that they're playing in mentoring Dal as almost being like the Spock to Dal's Kirk and you know being the catalyst for everyone escaping Tarzan. Hoot hoot. I just love the goodwill and enthusiasm for this character. He gets hoot hoot. And I love I chose Lost and Found the first episode because of the effective way that he really they just introduced the character it was so cool. The first shot of him, it's like a glimpse. They're just in this very distance. You see them out of Dow's just a corner of Dow's eyes in this misty, kind of spooky, and then they disappear. And I love that. I just love this character so, so much. So my first question to you both is: have you seen Star Trek Prodigy? Because it hasn't come up yet. So Kim, have you, are you watching with your kids?
2: Um, I have not yet. I've only watched one episode of it so far. And I actually really liked it a lot. Um, so and it, it definitely seems like it'll be good for the kids. So I probably will be watching them. And I've been reading the episode summaries and, and seeing some clips of it. So I I like the character so far from what I've seen. Um, I can't wax quite as enthusiastically just because I don't know the details. I I'm get so it. sorry. <laughs> I have
1: a feeling you're going to love it with
0: your kids. It, it, it has blown me away how good Prodigy is. Matt, how about you? I can't really pass judgment because of have uh, say, not really been able to see Prodigy, but I will say that I have heard of what has been released so far, and I do think it is adorable, including one particular moment in a recent episode that everyone will know what I'm eating on about, even when I'm not saying what it is. I don't know what it is. What is it? Give so, me a hint. Give me a clue. Say. So, the fact, the fact that one episode had didn't have just Janeway as the hologram, oh. the various others. Oh gosh, yes. I mean, we, I,
1: yeah. The less we spoil that, the better. That episode had me just—I was in tears. I'm not gonna lie. So, and uh, Kim, you're a fan of one of those characters in a big way, and I think you're going to be moved.
2: Yeah, to, I am to, excited. I'm excited to see to her watch again. That one. Yeah, I've only yeah. seen a, a, the screenshot, so I'm super excited to watch it's, that one.
1: It's just cool that she's she finally in it again. It's Beverly Crusher. That's who we're talking
2: about. It was amazing. Finally and long overdue. <laughs> finally
1: and long overdue. Yes, absolutely. I do indeed concur full-heartedly. Okay.
2: I just watched Let, that the other day. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. All right, let's go to round two. Uh, Kimberly, what's your number two pick?
2: Okay, my number two pick, uh, five words, all the specs and diagrams, hashtag family matters. And it's uh, TNG season four, episode two, family. And it is the first time um, a TNG episode has no scenes set on the bridge. On the bridge, yes, that's so good.
1: Oh yeah. god, that's so good. And again, classic
2: uh, five words. Thank so, you. It is it's okay. so and it's it's a meaningful uh detail. Like that version nice. choice is very meaningful because this really is the first time that we don't have a science fiction concept in the background. It is just focused on characters and it's one of my top 5 Star Trek episodes. I absolutely love this one. I, we also get several first time character introductions in this one. Warp's parents are so awesome. I really love watching them. Um, and we get to see Jack Crusher for the first time, even though he's in hologram form. And, of course, Picard's family. Oh, Renee! <laughs> and Renee, I, I, yes, always yes. Get, I
1: always get emotional thinking about Renee.
2: I know, I know. They were done wrong. <laughs> they, were,
1: <laughs> they were done very wrong.
0: Uh,
2: and Rick Furman. Rick, and Ber- Rick Furman didn't want to do this episode, from what I understand, but this is the Michael Pillar. One where he's like, no, we're focusing more on character. And it's just brilliant. And I think that really helps cement um, the the fact that TNG would continue to be completely episodic in many ways, but we could have some through lines with the characters. And not having a scene on the bridge really makes that, highlights that fact. This isn't going to be one about the ship so much as the characters.
1: Absolutely. And I've joked about this before, because this is another game changer in Star Trek and yeah. that's going to be, we're going to do top five game changers on episode 171. So that's like 40 episodes away, people, but we're going to do it. Cause I spouted it off a few episodes ago. I said, oh, we're just going to do it going to be episode 171. I pulled it out of a hat. And so that's what we're doing. It's on my list. And this one's a game changer because it just it, the the extension of best of both worlds and to have characters actually suffering effects of the things you've seen, it's just that's the way television evolved at that time, and Star Trek was a big part of that. Yeah, it was it was huge. I agree. Matt, what's your take on Family and another classic?
0: That scene with Picard and his brother in the mud—you you could tell straight away. They a it's it had been barely been mentioned all that much in the prior episodes. All the. The episode, all the episodes so far up to that point, the fact that such a stoic captain like Picard could break down really showcases what the ball did to him.
1: Literally, that it, you couldn't showcase it any better than what they did in that scene.
0: So, yeah,
1: brilliant,
2: brilliant, and to show that through the love of two brothers too that have uh, always been okay. at odds and finding some measure of reconciliation. I love it.
1: I mean, I've literally seen it a hundred times, and if I'm not doing a distracted watch and I'm sitting there watching it, I will cry every time it
0: is.
2: It's so powerful.
0: Brilliant. Okay, Matt, what's your number two pick? My number two pick for Revisiting Trek, Deep Space Nine, Season 6, Episode 19, In the Pale Moonlight. Ooh. Wow. <laughs> and, I, and I'm going to make a confession my first view, initial viewing of this episode, prior to my Deep Space Nine full uh, full watch through, was to uh, say I wasn't initially all that keen. Oh, why? Say, it just it struck me as Too just like an, an episode where it was, it was. I thought I thought the biggest thing I thought Cisco was being out of character, but then with my rewatch, I realised that as I realised deep down that was the whole point. Because say, have you ever seen an episode where a Starfleet captain, dedicated to his cause, will go against his own morals, like Cisco did?
1: I mean, this is the quintessential example of that, for sure, for sure. Yeah, that's interesting. So, I, I mean, so on the on your first time rewatch of it, it it sunk in a little bit more, having all the the entire context of Cisco and the and how the story yeah. ends.
0: Yeah, and it also it also got um, cemented just why Gar- uh, Garrick is one of my favorite uh, s- supporting characters in the whole franchise.
1: yep for sure for sure he is. Kimberly delete that entire log. what's your what's your take on this?
2: <laughs> oh my gosh, this episode is so intense and the, just the, the way that we get the whole story retold, Garrick's involvement and the fact that he does not let Cisco get away with it at all. Like if he said, well, I didn't actually mean for you. and Oh, yes, you did. You knew exactly yeah. what was likely to happen when you asked me to help. And the fact that he has to say, can I live with it? Yeah, I can live with it. And that's that's chilling. That's a major turning point, like you said, for the character that we love and that isn't supposed to be morally compromised. And yet you can understand maybe why he did it while still thinking that it was wrong. It, it, it really um sits with you for a long time afterwards
1: it's a challenging one but yeah hard to i i I have a hard time arguing with the ends you know
0: the the means are always debatable but can't it's hard to argue with the ends say and of course there's always there's that meme there's that meme that often makes the rounds of like computer (laughs) delete in delete entire personal log unable to comply apply and it turns out he's broadcast the whole log to the whole station
1: (laughs) okay i've not seen that so that's good all right let's go to my round two pick all right so my last pick was a medusan from prodigy and my next pick connects to that one in ways that you'll never see coming but because i'm picking it from Something from the, from the episode, Is There In Truth, No Beauty, which, of course, is the episode in which Medusans were originally introduced, but this pick has nothing to do with that. So I'm just throwing that out there. Here we go. Five words and a hashtag. Admit it, idic critics. Hashtag. Most revered of Vulcan symbols. And it's Is There In Truth, No Beauty? And it is obviously Spock's groovy idic pendant and necklace and logo, which he portrays. Uh, which he wears in the episode for the first time. It's the triangle and the circle, representative of Sturrock's enlightenment at the top of Mount Celea on Vulcan. And I love the itik, and, and so there's a little bit of controversy, which is my, which is my five words and a hashtag: admit it, 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 critics, because you know the the backstory on this is that this was a Gene Roddenberry idea to sell merchandise to add this little pendant and necklace onto Spock so that he could sell it to his uh, company, Lincoln Enterprises. I think it was them, might have been another one at that time. But um, and so then the story goes that Shatner and Nimoy didn't appreciate that it was obviously written into the script as a late season three kind of Rodberry thing. So and that may be true, but at this point <laughs> that is I mean the edict is so legendary. It's such a cool shape it's such a cool philosophy that permeates throughout Trek and to have this kind of tangible thing, the infinite diversity and infinite combinations and the, the way it's, obviously it obviously played a big role in the Vulcan trilogy, which is huge for me. And I just love the itic. I love everything about it. Not only the, the necklace, but just the philosophy of it and, and everything. So as Miranda says in this episode, the glory of creation is in its infinite diversity. And Spock says, and in our, and in the way our differences combine to create meaning and beauty. Awesome stuff. So Kimberly, what's your take on the innit?
2: Fantastic line. I love it. Uh, this is, yes, it is. It also, we're really finding a lot of foundational things for Star Trek here. Um, <laughs> I love the design. Um, I love how it comes up throughout all of the series. And, and is really this this touchstone that symbolizes another aspect of like why we love Star Trek, because there's so many things out there. That you can find meaning in, that you learn, like not to to judge, to to rethink your preconceptions, and like you said, it also plays a role in the Vulcan trilogy, and so that I really like uh, as well. Great choice.
1: Yeah, pretty cool, uh, Matt. What's your take? Did, did you pick up on this when in your first watch or seen much of it? I mean, did you even know it was in this episode?
0: To be honest, like I say, I I partly for partly uh, forgot this episode existed. <laughs> Or all, all I can remember from it was that it, it featured Diana Mold, Moldar, yeah. Madar. Yep. Doctor Yeah, doc, well Dr. Pulaski.
1: <laughs> uh yeah, so Dr. Pulaski. Yeah, of course. She and she's great in it. And it's it's a, it's actually an amazing episode. It's really kind of riveting. It's it's filled really sixties style bonkers. But man, the Medusins are so i I love the Medusans when they were first introduced here in a, in the innate. So This one kind of jumped out at me as as a pick. Great pick. Okay. Let's go to round one to get our top first times. Kimberly, what's your number one?
2: Number one pick. Five words. I'm making a house call. Hashtag footloose and fancy free. It is Voyager season three, episode nine, Futures End part two. It's the first time the doctor can leave sick bay and the holodeck.
0: Oh,
1: that's so cool.
2: It really uh, changed things for the the show going forward. We had seen him in a few different situations, but otherwise he was really limited. Once he could finally be free of uh, his physical limitations and go anywhere, it opened up so many other storylines for him and was a pivotal moment in that show.
1: Love the 29th century tech that the uh, mobile emitter that uh, freed the Doctor. Such an awesome character, and this—I mean, this is a spectacular. <laughs> <laughs> spectacular two-parter that you can watch a million times and never get tired it's of it. It's
2: so well done. It's uh, so entertaining.
1: And now it's so funny to watch it now thinking that the 90s stuff is so dated, but it was current when they were doing it. So that was that was current. Everything and now it's like such a time capsule. Oh, it's so fascinating. So
2: fascinating.
1: It's very 90s. It's true. <laughs> it's so 90s. Uh, Matt, what's your take on Future's End and the Doctor and his mobile Emitter?
0: Future's End is like, is one of my favorite Voyage 2 parties. It does have a lot of good things going for it. I do think, say, the um, Henry Starling is a good villain. I do oh, yes. think, so I do think Sarah Silverman is terrific. He's wonderful. And, and I, I say and as someone who does enjoy who does uh, really like the doctor, he is I say to see him finally gain the freedom to move was uh, a really nice moment. Are
2: you all right? I guess so.
0: Doctor. I've been equipped with an autonomous self-sustaining mobile hollow emitter. In short, I am footloose and fancy free. Footloose and
1: Fantasy Free. Another <laughs> great hashtag or five words on hashtag. All right, Matt, what's your number one first time?
0: It is another is it is another Voyager episode. Cool. It is another Voyager episode focusing on the Doctor. And if I'm correct, it's um, one that um Trek ranks as rank ranks very highly. It is Voyager season five, latent image.
1: Oh yeah. Underrated classic.
0: In my my top five all time favorite Trek episodes, I I can see that. And deservedly so. So it's just, I did like it at first. I'd say, I just love how it went from going through humorous moments, including the doctor trying to convince Naomi that um, his scanner was not entirely dangerous. It goes through, it takes you through the ringer, as I say, as it it Mm. takes you through questions of, Rever, Rever, hologram is right to choose. It gives you some horrific memories that say that really resonate with you. And say, from a philosophical perspective, it really does leave you what leave you wondering. And of course, harsh as it is to sound, say the shuttle pod carrying the Doctor Krim, and the other crew member was doomed at the moment an left space dock. And I always think back to Thanos' quote from the Avengers Infinity War trailer, "Dread it, Run from it. Destiny still arrives. and it did. Uh, uh, this episode has, literally has it all. So first of all, this is an awesome pick for your,
1: for your prime directive because this is a great one to revisit and kind of take it all in the second time. But it's got this incredible mystery. It's got once you kind of see it unravel, you see, you know, some real intense scenes, kind of scary and almost grotesque at some level in terms of the attack on uh, Harry Kim and Jital, I think her name was. Yeah, that's yeah, it, Jital, I could never and, remember her name. And, and, then, and then it morphs into this incredible moral dilemma for the crew and the doctor and everybody involved with them and their friendship and the things that what's best. And it's, there's no easy answers. And the ending is just so, so powerful. Just, I remember when it first ended, I was like, really? That's the ending? Wow. I I just gutted it. You're just gutted at the end of that. One. she's uh, Janeway's trying to help him. Kim, what's your take on this? One?
2: Oh, just a brilliant episode. I really love this. And like you said, it starts off with the ethical dilemma that, that causes this crisis for EMH. And you understand, like, why the, the fact that it causes a crisis for him when he is just just a hologram is really moving, um, and and it the fact that he starts breaking down because of it, and you're really challenged as a viewer. But I think you know Janeway is too to say how do I deal with this? And deleting the files makes the most sense in order for them to have the doctor continue to be functional. But I really like Seven's argument that it's not ethical like human beings don't have that option we have to learn to reconcile the hard things that we go through and move past them somehow and so to end the episode with uh, his friends there to support him through this process of going through all of his trauma and and figuring out how to, to move beyond it and you know we we're talking about Shakespeare earlier this has dante and so it's another right. element of like yeah. classicism and or classicalism and um in Star Trek. And I absolutely love the reference. Uh, wonderful episode. Great pick.
0: Excellent. Excellent. And follow-up. of course, uh, say more, just one last bit is that obviously, you know, the characters have their justification for doing it. Who who enjoyed the moment when Seven um, argued that if the Doctor's personal development, like, say, is blocked up, co- blocked up and covered to avoid a repeat of what happened? Does that mean they'll do the same to her if something happens to her in future? And of course that's what gets them. Yeah. The moral arguments are, are wonderful in this
1: episode and great Dante shout out. can't believe I would just say everything I know about Dante, I also learned from Star Trek. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I am consistent in that regard. Okay. Let's close it out with my number one pick. I'm covering a lot of ground with this first time pick. So maybe a little bit of a cheat, but uh, my five words and a hashtag. Not just N the old X hashtag, always the starting point in ship design. And my pick is NX, which basically means first time, the best of all the first times as the prefix or the registry for the bulk of experimental and prototype starships and Starfleet. It's NX. A bunch of first time ships. And so my little cheat is that by just picking NX, I get to talk about all my favorite NX ships instead of just one. So you've got the NX01, which is my absolute, one of my favorite ships of all time, pretty much second to the original Enterprise. You've got the Defiant NX74205. I love that Deep Space Nine ship. The incredible NX Alpha and Beta from Enterprise's first flight. Two amazing ships in an amazing episode. And, oh, now in Prodigy, you've got the NX-76884, the USS Protostar, so many cool ones. But my episode pick is Star Trek three: The Search for Spock, because of the original first usage of the NX prototype, the classic NX-2000, the USS Excelsior, not one of my favorite ships, but I picked it anyways because it's the first NX and the more they overthink the plumbing, the easier it is to stop up the drain, as Scotty says. So, a bunch of NX ships is my pick. Kim, what's your take on the NX?
2: Great, great choice. And I love that there was a creative choice that allowed you to bring in so many,
0: yes. so many great
2: ships. That love so about, many, about, especially the Defiant and the nx one. And so, a uh, wonderful pick. I. I I, I like the I like the defiant probably best out of all the ones that are listed. But yes, going back to search for Spock, that's awesome because I know the Excelsior is, is a great introduction.
1: It really is. They used it so well; it's so memorable. But just when you know when you when after that when it just started to appear so often, it's like oh the NX It's just cool. Anytime the, anytime NX shows up, you know something cool is about to happen. So yeah, I love that, Matt. What's your take on the NX ships?
0: It's it's hard to try and say without coming across as a bit as is a bit cheeky. So it's like, it's, I think it's like Scotty said in the voyage home. Why would you want that bucket of bolts? Right, right. Say <laughs> so it. Say it did suffer a little from as from being a bit of a butt monkey at times. But I think it's a good it's a good shit. It's it's, a, it's justified why it was became the enterprise B. It, it's
1: funny. I always say that the. What they did in Star Trek Three, they just did it so well because they designed they set it up so you don't like the Excelsior because you're they're trying to yeah. escape from it and the captain's kind of pompous. And so in my mind, I always I never liked the Excelsior and I think that had a lot to do with it. I mean, I don't love the design to be in contrast to other ships, but I think all of that had something to do with it, because they set it up that way. Yeah. Especially for me, because I was, you know, 16 when I saw that for the first time. So Stupid Excel here. Okay, let's go to secondary systems. Let's see what you can do with the secondary systems. Kim, anything that just missed your list you want to rattle off?
2: Um, my hardest cut for secondary systems was uh, TNG season four, episode twelve, "The Wounded," which is the first time the Cardassians. That's on
1: my list, but I had Bajorans and Cardassians.
2: Right, right. Yeah. Well, it's both of them, and so it is. Cool. It well, is it. Or the Bedorans with Ensign Rowe.
1: Oh yeah, because you're saying the wounded, right? Oh, sorry, I'm getting them totally conflated. totally yeah. I'm cutting that out. I love that pick, Cardassians. Yes, go Kim.
2: Yeah, it's awesome. Um, it's it's a great episode for O'Brien. Um, it it introduced and it with the history with the war, it sets up a whole plot line that there was the Federation Cardassian War that, of course, blossoms into. Um, later episodes of Next Gen, but then the entire series for Deep Space Nine, and I love the Cardassians. I've always said they're very uh, Soviet-like in their culture, and so if you're fascinated by Cold War stories or something, the, the way that those cultures functioned, the, this is it. Like this is where they this is where they start, and the treachery is there from the beginning. But it's a very different sort of treachery than the Romulans have, right? Because there's a little more um, intrigue to it. And the fact that Picard doesn't let Maxwell get away with mm. uh, doing the wrong thing, but he also doesn't let the Cardassians get away with what they were doing, uh, makes it a good Picard episode as well. So that was.
1: Even though he knows they were right, right? Yeah,
2: exactly. And, or
1: that uh, Maxwell was right. Yeah, so good. I, I always add, it's incredible to me. I, I picked this on some topic in the previous Trek ranks the Cardassian design for them to kind of be a one-off alien and get that level of design and for them yeah. to become the aliens they became in Star Trek lore. Absolutely. Yeah. Just incredible. Uh, perfect storm that that all came together. So good. I love this pick.
2: Thanks. Um, thank you. Another secondary systems that I had uh, was Star Trek first contact. The first time that Lily holds the phaser and she says, it's my first Ray gun.
1: Oh, that's so,
2: like, perfect. <laughs>
0: Maximum setting. If you fired this, you would have vaporized me.
2: It's my first ray gun. That was my hashtag sound Swedish?
1: Oh God, that's really good. And she literally says, "It's my first ray gun." I love exactly. it.
2: Exactly. Thanks. And then the the last secondary system one that I had was, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it's from Terra Prime. I think that's the first time Hoshi is in command and that is that correct
1: oh yeah, yeah. uh yeah it is and she's because, amazing because i picked that too on the previous trek ranks i think yeah, i picked that in my buzzer beaters yeah my buzzer beaters
2: she's she, so she's so good but uh, i i relate so to her so much and that you can see how nervous she is like standing up to the admiral but she has grown in confidence over the years and archer is right to have the confidence in her to do the right thing and i love that moment so her first time in command uh was made my secondary systems too.
1: Spectacular choice. We love how she that is so good. Uh Matt, how about you? Any uh any other episodes you wanna kind of go back to for your first
0: time revisits? Uh well, I mean we say with regards to secondary systems, like I say ones that did just avoid making this list was Star Trek Beyond was oh, one right. that I did yeah. tout, tout, but I figured I'm um, keep it list listed to the episodes, but I think an, an episode that just about missed out on this one, honestly, in a mirror darkly. Oh, yeah. Say, first time watching it, I got the theme straight away and I thought it was really good. Uh, say, because, and then obviously watching Demons in Terror Prime, Parvey kept thinking, what if the mirror universe had its own John Frederick Paxton? What would he have done? <laughs> oh, man.
1: That's one of those conundrums that you just go down the rabbit hole on. That's the that's the classic Rom deconstruction of the mirror universe. Well, if he's bad, then he must be good, but he's extra bad, or
0: something. right? Um, they, uh, I d- I have given it some thought. I reckon he would he would have led resistance, so uh, resistance cell long fought dead, and he would have fought to say so he would have t- he would have stolen to defi- stolen to fight and attempt to use it, um, going around destroying uh, ships. And whilst he is killed, he actually manages to destroy the Defiant at the same time, setting back the Terrans' uh, hopes of using the Defiant's weapons to upgrade their own ships. That's my head cannon. Okay,
1: so I'm trying to follow this. So, is so is he is he a good guy compared to his prime character, or is he
0: worse? Yeah, yeah definitely, is... definitely. So
1: he's, a, so he's a good guy. Okay, so <laughs> yeah. See, Rom would appreciate this because he he's none of it makes sense to Rom. Awesome. All right. I I got, say, yeah. I've got just a couple. My toughest cut was the first mind meld from Spock in uh, Dagger of the Mind. Uh, Ooh, early, early, early TOS season. Well, I love that moment when he mind melds with uh, Dr. Van Gelder. And then I also had Tuvok as the first Vulcan, like fully Vulcan, not even regular, but just like the first real vulcan we got a lot a lot of detail on i always loved that
2: he's the best i love he he
1: is (laughs) he is literally the best he is so underrated i agree i had deep space nine a space station instead of a ship for the first time as the the core of a series and then my special shout out to the master jeffrey coombs i i was gonna i couldn't pick His first time appearance in Trek because that wasn't that great in the in Meridian that character was so skeevy and he was great but not not memorable nobody wants to see him again but (laughs) and it was the first time he was Wayu and he did such a great job they killed him that they were like we gotta bring this guy back so let's make the Vorta's clones so we can bring Jeffrey Koos back as way. two
2: three four (laughs) five and six
1: yeah exactly exactly. All right, super fun topic. Two great guests, bunch of good first-time deep cuts. I love this, but let's get into our regeneration cycle now and go to a recap of our picks.
2: Computer, activate regeneration cycle. Alcoves beta and gamma.
1: Okay, Kimberly, let's uh, recap your top five first times.
2: Okay, my number five pick was uh, Encounter at Farpoint, the first time Picard quotes Shakespeare. Uh, My number four pick was the first time humans crossed Warp 10 uh, in the episode Threshold. My number three pick was The Wrath of Khan, the first time Saavik pilots the Enterprise out of space dock. My number two pick was Next Generation Family, uh, the first time that an episode had no scenes set on the bridge. And my number one pick was Voyager Future's End Part 2, the first time the EMH could leave, the, leave sick Bay and the holodeck thanks to the mobile emitter.
1: Fantastic, thorough list. I love it. So you had two from PNG and Voyager, and then one from TOS. Great list. Matt, how about you on your revisit, first-time revisit
0: list? Oh, uh, yeah, so my revisit list was fifth was Timescape, featuring the frozen time pockets. <laughs> then fourth, Devil in the Dark from the original series. That was my first ever track episode, and an idea of say, We're the monsters. Third is Deep Space Nine's "Take Me Out to the Holosuite," a nice little fun. Just a nice little fun story. Then getting serious with Deep Space Nine again in the pale moonlight at number second. Say so no reason to really say why why it's on why it's on the list. Everyone knows. Everyone <laughs> knows. And then lastly, number one, latent image from Voyager. Uh, as Kim said, Dante. <laughs>
1: Perfection. So you had two from Deep Space Nine and one each from TOS, TNG, and Voyager. I love that Prime Directive. And my list, number five, my from Voyager, the 37s, the black and blue alerts from Voyager and Discovery. And my number four pick was from Errand of Mercy. The first shooting day of the Klingons in Star Trek history was the day I was born from TOS. My super round pick was Zero, the Medusin, the first ever Medusin, Medusin regular character from Prodigies Lost and Found. Hoot, hoot! You guys are going to love him when you get to know him. My number two pick was the Itik from Is There in Truth No Beauty, the debut of the Itik from TOS. And my number one pick, the NX label for all the different first-time prototype ships and... I chose the search for Spock and the NX uh, two thousand, the Excelsior from TOS. So I had three from TOS, which is kind of funny, and one from Voyager, and one from Prodigy. So that's quite a combination. No duplicates. I had a feeling we might not on a topic this broad.
2: And I wasn't sure about that. I thought we might pick some of the same ones if we were picking like the first time. It could have happened. Us, like Casey like was introduced. Or yeah, character. like.
1: like something like warp 10 or or mind melds i could have seen that being a a duplicate but uh here we are we have 15 uh, different ways to look at it and the only stat i really kept here was our was our breakdown of the series so it's kind of uh compact we had one from prodigy which is cool and then the other four are all from the you know your first four series TOS, tng d space nine and voyager so the we had two from D Space Nine, three from TNG, four from Voyager, and five from TOS. So pretty good uh pretty good cross section of Trek covered on this great topic. But as always, we have once again been hit by a temporal distortion. So before we can depart, it's time to hear from you.
0: The temporal distortions are fracturing space-time throughout the ship, of oh.
1: course. Unknown. We know the cause, Mr. Tuvok, it's all the amazing feedback that we continue to receive from our listeners here at Trek Ranks. And this week's Temporal Distortion has sent us back to a variety of past episodes as the feedback's been coming in from every angle. So here are three quick lists from three different topics. First, from way back, we got in a list for our one-off romances way back on episode 29, that's years ago, from Nate Perkins, who's at Nate underscore underscore Perkins And he just listened, so he sent us an awesome list. Odo and Arissa from A Simple Investigation. I love them. Harry and Lindsay Ballard on Ashes to Ashes.
2: Oh, that's such a good one. It is
1: because, as I like to say, they definitely banked. I love those two together. (laughs) Bashir and Malora from Episode 3. They try to keep it kind of ambiguous with Harry and Lindsay Ballard, but come on. I mean, it had to happen. I think.
2: Yeah, I think uh, I, I think with Bashir too. A lot of um, he gets a lot of grief for his character in the first season, but I actually remember liking him a lot. I, maybe I was too young to know I wasn't supposed to like him. Oh my gosh, that's teenager, so funny! But.
1: Yeah, no, I he's on my list of like biggest changes or just uh, evolutions because yeah. man, he was first season was a little a little something, but Malora was second season, so that's lovely. And number okay. two. Was, oh, Wesley and Robin Leffler from The Game. I love that.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: then Harry and Tal from The Disease. He chose – that's one of my underrated episodes. I love The Disease. And he had three honorable mentions I'm going to relay. The Doctor and Zanara are awesome. Quark mm-hmm. and the Team of Lang are Fantastic. And then he oh he had Hoshi on Riza and Archer on Riza with their relationship so a bunch of great one off romances what a great topic that was that was a long time ago okay we also got a great list from Beverly Falls our friend at at Doctor BNC89 she sent us her Dax episodes and number five the wedding of the century hashtag Red is your color it's you are cordially invited. Number four, Kane, Core, Koloth, and Kurzon, hashtag promises kept for a blood oath, of course. Number three, Field of Fire, the mind of a killer, hashtag coincidence or connection. Number two, oh, I love this, Trials and Tribulations, a love letter to Trek, hashtag 1,771,561. And her number one, the Trill Right of Closer, hashtag past live facets, a fantastic Dax episode list from Beverly Falls. And one more pick, uh, this one, a list of Ferengi episodes from episode 117 from our friend Ian at Rebooting Time. And I love this pick, so I'm really quick. His number two pick was was from Acquisition, Trip Tucker Sprinkles in Undies, a... Uh, hashtag first contact capitalism. And that is, of course, a reference to the lower decks, trip Tucker sprinkles. Uh, fantastic. I love it. Awesome, awesome picks. Definitely good enough to clear ourselves from this week's temporal distortion. So as always, I want to thank everyone for all the great responses to the Trek Ranks podcast. Keep your list coming to me at Trek Ranks on Twitter so we can retweet them. But we also want to hear from you. So put together your own list of top five first times, or a list from any of our past shows, and give us a call at the Tricorder Transmissions at 609-512-5527 at 609-512-LLAP, or you can just record your picks and send me a link. We can do it that way. So hopefully we'll hear from you so you can be featured on the next episode of Trek Ranks. And on the next episode of Trek Ranks, we are doing a long overdue topic. It was from Kimberly's first pick of today. I was going to say something, but I didn't. So the timing is perfect for this one. It'll serve as our preview episode for the second season of Star Trek Picard that's coming up. It's our top five Q moments. I cannot wait to get to this one. So Kimberly and Matt, if you had to choose one Q moment in their, in the 13 overall appearances in Star Trek, what would it be? Kimberly, and you can't choose Encounter and Farpoint. And kill
2: all the lawyers. <laughs> oh my gosh! There's so many good ones. So uh, many. But I, if I if I had to narrow it down, I think I love Deja Q, the most out of all of his episodes, perhaps. So and so, there are just there and there's multiple great moments in that one. So I, I, I like uh, Guinan stabbing him with a fork, the conversation <laughs> with Data, uh, him Beverly, you know, giving him the back rub, and. It, because it, but you've been a in pain, a pain in our
1: backside long enough,
2: exactly. It's so much shark. <laughs> it, it and and his interactions with uh Corbin, or what's it, Oh, yeah, uh,
1: Corbin person. Yeah, that's right. Cute too. I love Another it.
2: Q. Yeah, so uh, that would be my favorite. I'd have to pick a moment probably from that episode because that's probably my top one for him.
1: What do I have to do to convince you people <laughs> die? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Matt, how about you? Any cue moments you
0: want to realize? Oh. No, I. When I say I've got one. I'm just going to do it in a quote. Okay. You hit me. Picard <laughs> never hit me. I'm not Picard. Oh boy,
1: that's a uh, that's a great moment because the, and the rest of that quote is is ominous. Uh, yes, I know you're much easier to provoke. Oh, Q is so good. Q is so good. I cannot. Um,
0: wait. And I am. just I am really looking forward to Picard season two. Yeah, it's. And I think this is going to be this is going to be even better.
1: I loved Picard season one, but this is going to be a different tone. You can tell so.
2: Absolutely, yeah. I just this is going to be a great topic for your next episode. Yeah, it, it, really is, been really like, it really is. Really wonderful
1: moments. Yeah, <laughs> I'm. I'm. I'm we're recording soon, and I'm already narrowing down my list, so uh, super fun. Okay, so to wrap it up here, a huge thanks to Kimberly Lawler and Matt Price. It was awesome to have you guys both on the show.
0: I was wondering if you could show me how to access these subspace communications logs.
1: And we're going to do that right now, Mr. Neelix. So any final trick, subspace communications, either one of you guys want to relay before we depart. Kimberly.
2: Go out with the Shakespeare quote. What a piece of work is man! How noble in reason! How infinite in faculties! In action, how like an angel! In apprehension, how like a god!
1: I just want to finish right there. That was amazing.
2: Thank you so much for having me on. It was really a pleasure to be here.
0: So good, so good, Matt. How about you, man? That's I don't know. I don't know how that's going to be topped. <laughs> but so I'll just go with um five card stud. Sky's the limit.
1: I love it. That is perfect. Actually, with the last episode, did somebody do that already? This is crazy. I think that literally happened in the last episode. You've probably even heard it yet. So, uh, amazing. Okay. I might cut that out. Anyway, thanks, you guys. Awesome, awesome job. Thanks, everyone, for listening and engaging with us here again on episode 129 of the Trek Ranks podcast. As always, I want to close by saying I'm looking forward to standing with you again here in this place where I belong.
2: Mr. Paris, prepare the ship
1: for landing. Captain, I think I should tell you I've never actually landed a starship before.
2: That's all right, Lieutenant. Neither have I. Bridge to engineering. We're going to land the ship, Miss Torres. Take the warp core offline, vent all plasma from the nacelles, and stand by to engage atmospheric thrusters. Aye, Captain.
1: This is Lieutenant Tubok to all decks. We are preparing to land the ship. Go to blue alert and report to code blue stations. Plotted a descent course. How close do you want to land to the distress coordinates? No closer than two kilometers. Okay. Atmospheric controls at standby. Landing mechanisms online. Inertial dampers at maximum. All decks report
0: condition blue, Captain. Put
1: her down, Mr. Paris. Just want to remind everyone again that the entire Trek Ranks catalog is available for you to download and listen to at trekranks.com and on your podcast player of choice. Our episodes never get carbon data, so check out the topics you've missed and maybe just want to listen to again over at trekranks.com. And a reminder to check out our friends' five-year mission at fiveyearmission.net. They're writing a song for every episode of Star Trek, and you won't believe how great their music is. They also have a podcast at the Trek Geeks Network, so seek them out. You won't regret it.
2: Let's see some chatter. Hey, batter 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 batter. Hey, batter 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 hey, batter. Ducks to the out. opposition. Hey, batter swing batter. Spike him out. Hey, batter, swing, batter.